Here's the good news ahead of us today on Abounding Grace. There might be heavy conviction, but for those of you that are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Your past sins have been forgiven. Your present sins are forgiven. Even your future sins are forgiven. The Bible teaches us that there's no condemnation. There can't be a stronger phrase in the Scriptures to describe the lack of condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There is no possibility of condemnation. There is no condemnation, zero, zip, none coming from God. This is amazing grace. Hello again, and welcome to Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is currently in a series based in 1 Kings. We'll join him in chapter 9 in a second. When we fail, and we all do, we might find it difficult to get beyond that. We might even feel condemned. But it's important to remember at such times that God's promises remain faithful. And he tells us there is no condemnation for those in Christ. That's emphasized in this chapter before us. So if you're ready for an encouraging time in the Word, let's get right to it. We're going to start in Romans chapter 8 if you want to get ahead. And eventually we'll be in Genesis as well. 1 Kings chapter 9 as we pick up in our verse-by-verse study of Kings. Solomon, after following his father into the role of being king, has completed the building of the temple and his own palace. And we learned last time that he held a dedication ceremony and in front of the people prayed out to the Lord asking for God's mercy and grace upon him and the nation. And and just turn back to chapter 8, whether you took notes or not, I found it interesting that in Solomon's prayer that he anticipated human failure among the nation. And we list them out, if you'll remember, he anticipated the people's doubts in verse 31, uh, if they were ever defeated because of sin in verse 33, if they faced a drought because the heavens were shut up in verse 35, their destruction, the famine or pestilence in verse 37 he prayed for. He prayed in anticipation, um, verse 44, of their deployment if they had to go out to war. He also prayed in verse 46 if they defected and backslid. He prayed in anticipation of the failure of the nation. Notice in verse 47 of chapter 8, yet when they come to themselves in the land where they carried away captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of those who took them captive, you know, he he anticipated repentance among the sinners. And if there's one thing that we all share in the room today, and that is that we are all prone to wander as the hymnal, as the hymn we so often sing. We're all prone to wander. We're all weak. Everyone among us has a heart that's deceitfully wicked. Who can know it but the Lord himself? It's important for us to remember in our lives, while we don't plan to fail, and none of us really want to fail, and we don't want to use this as an excuse to fail, just know this, you're going to fail. We're not planning to fail. 
I hope nobody listening in right now is planning sin right now, although I do know that there are some listening in, whether they're here or on the radio or online right now, they are planning to sin. It happens a lot on Saturday nights. Saturday night's a big party night, and so what will happen is people will come to church, and, and then they'll go party right after church. I remember in one service, there was such a great conviction on a sister's heart uh, because she had come to church for the worship service on a Saturday night, and I had said somehow in the, we're in the Bible study all this, you know, don't plan to sin, don't go party, and, and she had actually brought her party clothes to change in the bathroom after service, which she did. And she went out to party and then came back in the morning so broken over the reality of how she followed through with her plans instead of just repenting right before it ever happened. We're all going to fail. And, and if you're on the other end of a failure, then understand this in Romans chapter 8. Listen to this. This is, this is what the word of the Lord says to you and to me. Because Solomon, even back when he was building the temple, was anticipating the failure among the people and asking for God's mercy and grace. And it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore, what does your Bible say? Now, now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Right now, as you hear my voice, there is no condemnation. God is not condemning you for your sin. There might be heavy conviction, but for those of you that are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Your past sins have been forgiven. Your present sins are forgiven. Even your future sins are forgiven. The Bible teaches us that there's no condemnation. There can't be a stronger phrase in the Scriptures to describe the lack of condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There is no possibility of condemnation. There is no condemnation, zero, zip, none coming from God. It might be from the accuser of the brethren, and it might come from other believers, and it might come from your own deceitful heart. But listen, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Hold on to that truth. God has done a finished work through Jesus Christ. Salvation is a whole package. It's not a partial package. It's whole thing. He saves you and me in the whole. Because God is not working in a past, present, future kind of environment. God is outside of time. He describes himself as the great I am. He's the one that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so in his eternality, in his complexity... It's in the now for God, which translates to the now for us, that there is no condemnation. And I found that was good. It was worth repeating from chapter 8. Now notice chapter 9 of 1 Kings. Pick up with me in verse 1, because there's a theme here through this chapter. Those of you that read ahead may not have seen much in this chapter, but there's a theme that we want to walk through in verse 1. It came to pass when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house, and all of Solomon's desire, which he wanted to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time. Aren't you grateful for the second times of the Lord? (laughs) Or the second chances of the Lord? Or the third? Or the fourth? But he comes in a very special way. He comes to him a second time, just like he did in Gibeon. He's ready to give him a fresh word. He's ready to give him a new word. And the Lord said in verse 3, I've heard your prayer and your supplication that you've made before me. 
And I've sanctified this house which you have built to put my name there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. He says, I heard your prayer. I heard your prayer about the future failures. I heard your prayer about what's going to go down. I heard your prayer covering what was on your heart, Solomon, if the nation turned against you and if they made all kinds of mistakes. I I heard your prayer. I heard your prayer. God's going to answer that prayer. I'm going to show mercy to the future generations because of your prayer. I'm going to show mercy to the nation of Israel because of your prayer. I heard your prayer. Why do we pray? One of the reasons we pray is because God hears our prayers. God hears our prayers. You're not praying to the ceiling. Some of you might, come, you might have come today, and as you were praying in your group, you just felt like, well, what am I doing this for? Why am I doing this? And it could be the condition of your heart right now. It could be the condition of your mind right now. You could be beating your, it could be a variety of reasons, but you're wondering, why am I doing this? There are a lot of reasons why you're doing this, but one we learn in the text today. We pray because God hears our prayers. He hears our prayers. And it's not just like a casual hearing where, yeah, he heard the words, but God's hearing always leads to God's action. God's hearing always, isn't that what he tells us? Isn't that what he says in James? He says, don't just be hearers only, but doers. What's the example for that? God himself. God is the example of what hearing and doing looks like. And here he is, I heard your prayers in your supplications. And I've done, I've sanctified this place. Verse four. Now, if you walk before me as your father David walked, mark these words. How did David walk? In integrity of heart and in uprightness. Mark that, we'll come back to it in a moment. If you walk like your dad, if you follow your dad's example, to do according to all I've commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I'll establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever. As I promised David, your father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But if you or your sons at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I've set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I've given them. And this house which I've sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will be exalted. Yet everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss and say, Why has the Lord done thus to the land and to this house? Then they will answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and embraced other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought all this calamity on them. We're grateful, aren't we, for the times that God appears to us the second time. Many times a second time in the Bible is referring to a second chance from the Lord after a big failure, but not so here. We're at the midpoint of Solomon's reign. Almost 20 years earlier, God had appeared to Solomon and told him to ask whatever he would like. And Solomon, recognizing the weight of responsibility, he asked not for great things for himself, but he asked great things for the people of God. He asked for that which would bring God the most honor. He asked for help in overseeing the nation, knowing that he wasn't his dad. He wasn't like his dad. His dad was a warrior. His dad was a man who battled. His man, unfortunately, his dad was a man with, with blood on his hands. His dad was a man that was shrewd and understood. You could say that his dad had street cred. He understood how it was like. He, uh, he hung out with David's mighty men, and he learned from David's mighty men some things about what goes on on the streets, what goes on in real life. He had to experience it. Solomon was a softie. 
He grew up like many of our kids in the sense that they grew, he grew up in, you could say, in a godly home, in a Christian home. Solomon's testimony was he grew up in a godly home. <laughs> and because of the leadership of his father and the leadership of his home, he avoided all the nonsense or much of the nonsense that his dad went through. And that's a lot of what your houses are like. It's what my house was like. I did not want my kids to experience what I experienced. I don't believe it was God's heart for God. God had a testimony that was different for my kids, and, and we raised our kids to be kids as unto the Lord. Now, they were normal kids, and they had their issues, and they had their sinful issues. As, but, but man, praise God that none of my kids were teenage parents. I mean, I praise God for that. Uh, I, I didn't want them to go through what we went through. I didn't want them to hear our testimony and say, well, you know, Dad, you were an idiot, so I can be an idiot too. No, you can't be an idiot, and I'm not an idiot anymore, I hope, you know? And, and I, didn't, I wanted to prevent that from them and praise God for His grace and His mercy. Solomon was different. He, he, was, he was that second generation that, that grew up in a home that watched the testimony of his dad. But his testimony of his dad was a good testimony, and he waited now, it was 20 years of time to build this house and build his temple. And then the Lord showed up again to encourage him and to warn him. And we need both. Now, 20 years is a long time to wait, don't you think? You guys can participate with me. Do you think 20 years is a long time to wait? Yes. If I made you guys wait 20 minutes right now, you wouldn't like me. <laughs> 20 years is a long time to wait. But waiting on the Lord is always worth it. It's always too soon to stop waiting on the Lord. It's a disobedient thing for us to stop waiting on the Lord. When we fail to wait on the Lord at his command, then we, our strength is not renewed. We are unable to really run the race effectively. We begin to take on the weights and the sins of this world upon ourselves in disobedience to what we learn in Hebrews to lay aside the weights and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Although Solomon was busy in obedience, building and developing the worship center of the nation, the temple, there was no spiritual revelation mentioned from God for over 20 years. That's true for us as well, as God will give us what we need when we need it. He'll give us the revelation when we need it. He'll speak to us in a dream or a vision when we need it. He'll show up. You know how it is when you are with someone and they go through a great trial and your immediate response, you know, after compassion and love is, I don't know if I could ever go through what they're going through. And, and, and totally, I get it. I don't know if I could ever go through what they're going through. And I, I don't think I could ever handle it. But then on an unfortunate occasion, you come across some situation where you didn't think you could ever go through that. You didn't think you could ever make it. But what happens? The Lord shows up at just the right time and gives a needed grace. You didn't need it five years ago. You didn't need it five weeks ago. You didn't need it five days ago. But when the calamity comes, the Lord is instantly there and you and I get what we need when we need it. And if we fail to be patient, and if we fail to wait on the Lord, and we're impatient with God, then, then we'll very easily take things into our own hands. And we have example of that over and over again. But, you know, you know you, when you take things into your own hands, you start creating little Ishmaels, little Ishmaels all over the place instead of waiting on the Lord. This was a miraculous appearing of God to Solomon a second time. But we can't live off the miraculous of God. We need to learn how to live off of the faithfulness of God. Write that down. You need to learn this. We don't live off the miraculous of God. 
We need to learn how to live off of the faithfulness of God. We may be eager for instant growth and instant solutions, but the Lord is always doing a work for the long haul. God is always working for maturity and eternity, not your personal instant gratification. He's working in us far more exceedingly weight of glory. It's so much more. He wants to develop us and to grow us. That He wants to teach us how to praise Him even when we wait in relative silence for 20 years. God will show up a second time. And this time with Solomon, God promises to establish His kingdom if he walked in obedience. That was the warning. Solomon, you must walk in obedience. And he uses this phrase in verse 4, and we can't just gloss over it. Now, if you walk before me as your father David walked, in the integrity of his heart and in uprightness. That's how God saw David. Now, we read this story of David, and we've studied through 1 Samuel recently. We may not write that about David. We may get all critical and hyper-judgmental on brother and say, well, look what he did there, and look what he did there, and, and remember him for his sin. That's not how God remembers David. God doesn't remember David for his sin. God remembers him for the integrity of his heart and his uprightness. And isn't that the case in our lives? For those of us that have the Holy Spirit in us, there is far more integrity and uprightness of heart in our lives than stupid sins. Although there are some stupid sins. The uprightness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ where he's clothed us with his white garments is far more than those momentary lapses of sin in our lives. David, as we all realize, was a far from perfect person. As far as sinlessness is concerned, David was not a sinless person. He did sin. And, and there was even a big sin in his life that everyone's reminded of, that I'm sure was always brought back to him, that when Ahithophel turned on him, he had to be reminded of it again. And, and every time he looked into Bathsheba's eyes, I could see the enemy wanting to accuse him and wanted to take him down. And there was a lot of things that he did in the story of his life that were recorded for us. But when, he's, when Solomon, when God is talking to Solomon about being the leader of the nation, he says, follow your dad. You need to follow your dad in the integrity of his heart and in his uprightness. Do as all I command you, he says. One thing you don't read of David ever doing was going after other gods. David was not an idolater. And that's a big deal to God. David was not an idolater. He remained true and faithful in his commitment to Yahweh, to Jehovah. There was never a hint in David of turning after other gods. He remained faithful and true and loyal to the one true God. Even though there was personal failure, there was an overall commitment, heart to heart, mind to mind to God. And we as believers in Jesus Christ now in the new covenant, dwell the Holy Spirit taking residence in us as the temple of the Holy Spirit. We too experience times of personal failure. But that they happen under that overall commitment to the Lord. And you know, sometimes we as believers, we, we remember the sins more than we remember the faithfulness of God. We remember the failures. And, and, and in some cases, when believers get really nasty with each other, which I don't understand why we do that, we're, we're all messed up. We all need the grace of God. But you know, believers can get really nasty and really judgmental. It's, it's almost like, man, They'll never let you get over your sin. 
They're always going to hold it against you. Now, while people might do that, God does not do that through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we all experience personal failures. You know, the way that the internet is today, the way the blogosphere is, the way that social media is, you know, a, a believer or even a pastor can make a mistake and then it's going to be blown up and blown out of proportion and blasted on Facebook and every, forwarded to a billion people within 24 hours now. And, and, and instead of just praying for that brother and go, he just made a mistake. Can't people just make mistakes anymore? Can't we just stumble and fall at times? I mean, I, listen, I'm not, I'm not advocating uh, taking and, and understanding grace like, oh, it's some sin and you can just go do it. And, oh, Pastor Ed just gave us permission to go do whatever we want, you know, because we should just be kind to one another. And just, that, that's, you totally misunderstand why Jesus Christ died for you if you think like that. But let's be real. It doesn't have to be anything big. It doesn't have to be anything huge. Here you are worshiping the Lord. You, you were just anticipating Bible study. You, maybe you couldn't make it, but you turn on the internet right now. Uh, but, but on the way home on I-25, somebody cut you off and you flipped them off. And then you remember, oh, I put a sticker on my card. Oh, put my, I, was, I was saying number one. I love you, number one. You're number one. But you flipped somebody off. Well, yeah, yeah, but, you know, I was mad. I was mad. I flipped them off. Would, I, I would say it's a pretty major failure. I don't think Jesus went around flipping people off. I mean, Peter cut ears off, but never says he flipped anyone off. And, and there you are. There's a major failure, but you know what you do. You just kind of, just kind of sweep it under the rug. Sorry, Lord. Sorry, Liz. I love you, Lord. And then you go, I'm going to cover it with my finger. I love you, Lord. And you're going to give to, and you know, you, you let yourself off the hook, but you're, you're not letting someone else off the hook. And, and there you are, you're committed to the Lord. It's not like you hate God. You were just mad somebody cut you off. I was just coming on Parker Road, coming up from Chick-fil-A, coming on Parker Road. I was making a turn, but it's crazy on Parker Road. The traffic's insane. So this guy comes up and boom, right in front of me. So I'm not giving you a, I did not flip them off. I'm telling you, all right, just so you know. But I'm like, come on, man, this is my space. This is my space. And then you went around and broke the law. This is my space. This is my space. My space. But even that little thought, Lord, nothing belongs to me. It's not my space. How careful we need to be in the body of Christ. We may have times when we stumble or we fall into sin, but yet underneath our lives and the basic foundation is a commitment and a faith in the Lord. And when you say you love Jesus Christ, I believe you. I believe you. When you say you want to grow beyond, I believe you. I do. I believe you. If you were to come up for prayer after service and say, Ed, I fail miserably, but I love Jesus, I believe you. And I think what's best in you. And I want to encourage you in the Lord. I want to help you get over this and move forward in your life. I believe you. Love and grace is lived out among us in the family of God by our patience with one another, by our help with one another, firm but lovingly. Well, thank you for joining us today as we study through 1 Kings and learn of God's abounding grace. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Are you interested in hearing this again? It's easy to do when you visit AboundingGraceRadio.com or through our church app. 
Do a search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play to download that to your mobile device. Now, all this month, we're featuring an excellent book by Greg Laurie titled World Changers. Maybe you've noticed the Bible is filled with stories of God using ordinary people in extraordinary ways to change the world. I think of Noah, Abraham, and Joseph, just to name a few. In World Changers, you'll read about these imperfect regular people who chose to obey God's call and what a difference that made. And we'll send it your way for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace today. Call toll-free 877-30-GRACE. Again, we're at 877-30-GRACE. Or order it online at calvaryco.store. And thank you for your support as it allows us to bring the teaching of God's Word to stations like this every day. We're constantly hearing from folks all over the world that are being blessed and your gifts help to make that possible. You can donate through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And a question, how has Abounding Grace blessed you? We want to hear. And it's easy to share your thoughts and your prayer requests at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Scroll down to the bottom of our homepage and connect with us. We'll return to First Kings next time out on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.